Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frequently frustrating technical aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Monica. Hi, Denise. How have you been? I'm doing great. Good. I hope you're well, too. I am. I am. Thank you so much for asking. So we're back, and um, obviously we're talking about dementia. Um, But as a layman, I've learned from you that dementia is the umbrella description over a list of brain disorders that pertain to the elderly. So Alzheimer's is the one disorder that people hear most often. So what is dementia and how is Alzheimer's a dementia? Well, very good question because that's a common question that I get. It's like, well, she doesn't have Alzheimer's, she's got dementia. Like that's something better. And it's not, (laughs) okay? So the easiest way that I can describe dementia is, first of all, it's not normal, okay? A lot of people think that as you get older, you may invariably get dementia. You know, people will say, my great-grandma had dementia, or she didn't have Alzheimer's, she had dementia, you know, they were senile. And so what I can tell you is that many years ago, we used the same words for different things because they all looked the same. So dementia is, I like to say it's the short-circuiting of your brain. It's not working the way it should is supposed to. Like you're not able to think, you're not able to process information, and there are different way reasons for why you can't process information. So most commonly, when we start thinking of any kind of dementia and Alzheimer's, we think of memory loss first, but it's a degenerative process. So whatever your brain helps you do, you're no longer able to do when you start to have dementia because the brain substance is deteriorating. The brain is not, as the brain substance or tissue is deteriorating, the function of that part of the brain is no longer available to you. Okay, so Alzheimer's is one of the dementias. It is one of the dementias. Okay. One of those things that causes your brain not to allow you to process information. So we'll just start simply and just sort of delve into what is Alzheimer's. And I know from you that there are several other different types of dementia, but we'll stick with Alzheimer's today. So what distinguishes Alzheimer's from other forms of dementia? Well, the first thing that is probably more common to Alzheimer's versus vascular, which has to do with strokes, is that there's, there may be a genetic component We know that it is, um, the hallmarks are something called uh, deposition of some abnormal proteins in your brain. And these proteins are accumulating over 20 or 30 years before you actually have a diagnosis. And what precipitates the 
growth or development of these deposits in your brain that actually result in the development of Alzheimer's? Well, we're still working on some of that. But some of the things we know that contribute to developing these abnormal proteins that accumulate in your brain and cause you to have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's are genetics. We know that there are, um, are certain genes that are associated with Alzheimer's. Most commonly we think of something called APOE4, and it's like a gene to test for. So let me ask you then, if it's a gene to test for, how do you test to see if you have APOE4? It's a blood test, and yes, you would see a geneticist for it. Okay. It's not a common test. It's not like getting your blood count or blooding and getting electrolyte test in your doctor's office. Most insurance is not going to cover it. Mm. Most often when you get testing, like APOE testing, cardiologists use it. There are other things that are associated with that gene, but it is most commonly associated with Alzheimer's. And so for people say, well, I'm going to go to my doctor and go get an APOE4 test, no you're not gonna to go to your doctor and get an APOE4 test, simply because that's not really the way we go about diagnosing that disorder, and because APOE4 is not the only gene that you can inherit that predisposes you toward Alzheimer's. So when you say you're not gonna get that test, it's because it's not the only marker that could tell you if you have Alzheimer's? Exactly, and a lot of people who have that gene, that APOE gene, mm -hmm. APOE4, may not ever develop Alzheimer's. It's a gene that's associated with Alzheimer's, but it's not necessarily diagnostic. Wow, that is helpful, but also confounding. Well, because there are other things that go along with it. Okay, now one thing, I've, I've spoken about genetics. Certainly age is a risk factor. The longer we live, the more at risk you are for developing some abnormality with any of your bodily functions. And your brain is one, so the older you are, the less likely you are to function the way you did when you were 20 or 30. So the brain is no different from any other tissue. Your skin at 20 is different from your skin at 90, right? Right. So your brain at 90 is gonna be different from your brain at 20. So think of it that way. So all organisms age, and as they age, you know, some of their functionality changes. But with Alzheimer's, we know that age is a predisposing factor. We know that genetics can contribute. But now scientists are working on other things. We're looking at environment. We're looking at the existence of other diseases that may be present. So, well, so let me stop you there. Environment. How can your environment affect um, you well, having Alzheimer's? Well, Environment from the standpoint of, let's say, other things that may be going on with your body, okay? Your body's environment, okay? Your body may have high blood pressure. Your body may have diabetes. And diabetes and hypertension together may turn on a system, a switch in your body somewhere that turns on what we call the Alzheimer's cascade. Mm -hmm. So, but diabetes and hypertension, for example, are, as they say, risk factors for any dementia, but they are also risk factors for Alzheimer's. So basically, it goes back to what we talked about last time about mental and medical. You That's know, right. You need to keep your body as fit mm -hmm. as possible and, and you know your diet, your exercise. Yeah, and that start, stuff starts when you're middle-aged, like um, middle-aged is now. <laughs> <laughs> Not just 40, it's more like 50 and 60, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So 
those of us that are in the middle ages yeah. need to be in better health because our health at 40 and 50 kind of predicts what's going to happen to us when we hit 70 and 80. Wow. So if you make it through your 40s and your 50s without high blood pressure and diabetes, whether you have a genetic predisposition towards Alzheimer's, chances are you're probably not going to get it. <laughs> Wow. Right. Wow. Those, I mean, those are things that we're working on and researching. I mean, it's not something definitive, but the takeaway here is that there are other things besides having this gene that may predispose you toward developing Alzheimer's. Oh. We're not sure about what all those triggers are and what all those turn on switches are inside the body, but we are finding that certainly being female, and there may be some hormonal something in there uh, that predisposes females more so than men to the development of Alzheimer's type dementia. We know that high blood pressure, a 20 to 30 year history of high blood pressure and diabetes does predispose us toward um, brain dysfunction and a higher risk of having what we call the amyloid or a, a beta protein development. That's when they talk about seeing that on your brain. Is that right? Right. Those amyloid is um, what we call an A-beta protein, mm -hmm. and that accumulates in clumps. They call them plaques and tangles. Right. Well, in those plaques, you have a clump of this A-beta protein that you see on PET scans. Okay, we used to only be able to diagnose Alzheimer's after somebody died by looking at tissue slices. That was what I was about to say. Is that still not the case anymore? No, no longer. Wow. Okay, so now we can look for a beta deposition in the brain using specialized x-rays, not just a CT scan or an MRI, but what we call a PET scan, a brain PET scan um, that uses a special kind of tracer that picks up that amyloid protein. We're also looking at something called biomarkers, which are... Um, like we talk about A-beta protein and tau protein. Those are the two abnormal proteins that accumulate in the brain when you have Alzheimer's. And if you look at somebody's spinal fluid, you can find precursors to those particular proteins. And if you have an accumulation of those proteins in your cerebrospinal fluid, that's another way that we look for kind of sort out whether or not somebody has a dementia that's related to Alzheimer's versus something else. We're looking for A, beta, and tau protein precursors in your cerebrospinal fluid. So simply, tell me the ways that you can test to see if someone has Alzheimer's. Just list them for me. Okay. First thing we'll do is um, probably do a brain image, like a brain MRI, to look to see what your brain looks like, what its uh, anatomic figure looks like you know is your brain shrunken there's a part of your brain you know that shrinks when you have Alzheimer's and we're looking for that shrunken piece when we're looking at a brain MRI okay and another way okay another way is to do um, analyze your cerebrospinal fluid to look for these precursor proteins and so yes you do have to have you know a needle or a lumbar puncture a needle stuck in your back to get the fluid out so that we can analyze it it's not like a blood test we can't just get it that way we're still working on some of that yeah and then another test um, aside from the um, special x-rays of your brain looking at the cerebrospinal fluid is what we call neuropsych testing. I call it the intelligence testing for older adults. I you think know. that's what you had my dad go through. 
That's right. It's like a pen and paper test to see how he thinks, how you process things, how you recall things. Um, we may have you following dots, following a trail, adding and subtracting numbers or recalling words, putting them in a series. That's what we call neuropsych testing. Now, is of those three tests, are, is there one that you have that has more weight, or or they are they all equally? Um, analyze to see if someone has Alzheimer's? I think you order things as a clinician. I can't just go in there and order stuff just because. There has to be an indication for something. You know, if I order a, an MRI of your brain and I don't have an indication for it, your insurance isn't going to pay for it, and then you're going to get mad at me because I ordered it. Right. So from my standpoint as a primary care clinician, because people come and they, they have all kinds of complaints, so one of the things that um, I will do first is do the special kind of like pen and paper testing, what they call the neuropsych testing, simply because that's a way to rule out things like depression, and it gives me an objective measurement of what kinds of things somebody's brain is allowing them to do. So of those three tests, do, does each test carry the same weight? In diagnosing if someone has Alzheimer's like do no. you put more credence on the uh, the brain scan or more on the writing test or more on the spinal tap it depends upon what you're finding so let's just say we do the first thing you with you if your father or your mother has a complaint most medical doctors are going to do a medical examination to make sure that all medical things are straight. If your blood pressure is too high or too low, that can make things weird. If you're on medicines that don't interact well and may be causing some of the symptoms that you're seeing, that's something that a doctor needs to look at first. But after we've made sure that all those things are straight, I think the next most important thing is to look at your brain architecture and to look at the brain structure, to look for the... Um, atrophy or the shrinking hippocampus that's that's going to be one of the things that's a hippocampus it's a okay, part of the you. brain <laughs> it's deep in your brain that you can't really see unless you have a specialized mri to see it so that would be the next thing if all my medical stuff is good i'm going to want to look at a brain image and then if i look at that image and it looks like that little part of the brain that hippocampus looks normal and it's like well that doesn't really okay that hippocampus is normal so they've still got symptoms does that mean they don't have alzheimer's not necessarily so that's when you start going to the other things. That's when you start looking at the uh, testing or the cerebrospinal fluid biomarkers. Those would be the next thing, the cerebrospinal fluid okay. assay okay. Anal analysis. Is there, can people get Alzheimer's in their 40s? Yes. That's something called early onset Alzheimer's disease. And when you see people who are in their early 40s or even in their 30s, there's a... Um, there's almost certainly a genetic predisposition to that. And we're studying a family down in Colombia that has hereditary Alzheimer's. Colombia, South America? South America. They're, it's a big international study. And people in this family start to get Alzheimer's in their 30s and their 40s. And that is almost most certainly a genetic uh, variant wow. that predisposes people in that family toward that Alzheimer's. So it is possible. It is possible. And if you have a family history, now this is important when we start talking about early onset Alzheimer's disease, 
And when I say early onset, early onset usually means somebody who is young, somebody less than 65. People say, well, you know, she's got the memory symptoms, she's got early Alzheimer's. No, you don't know that. Early onset in my neighborhood means before the age of 65. Well, my dad, um, after you sent him to that, you know, I guess the neuropsych test, he was in his 80s. So that's what we call late onset Alzheimer's. Well, so early is before 65 and late is after 65. Okay. All right. Well, I guess it's a, a blessing in disguise that, you know, symptoms did not, you know, present themselves, present itself, you know, with him so early on and he was able to function, you know, relatively well. Now, that's something that's important. You said he was able to function relatively well because when we start looking at when people are starting to have trouble with their brains, they're not functioning well. They're having difficulty managing things, whether it's a job, and I've had a number of patients who came with memory complaints who were having trouble on their job, and it's important to get a diagnosis because you can have poor performance on your job and just get fired for that reason, but if the reason you're having difficulty on your job is because you have a neurodegenerative disorder, that's different, isn't it? That is different. That is absolutely different. Okay, so, well, that's very interesting. I, um, like I said, every, everyone hears dementia and thinks Alzheimer's. And um, so now we've learned today that that is one of the disorders under the umbrella of dementia. So we'll pause right here, and next time we'll continue our discussion on what is Alzheimer's.